T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and on 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I think when he gets out of that habit of throwing the ball sidearm, low three quarters, it always drifts toward the home plate side of first base. He makes some very bad throws when he does that. If he can get back to making throws where you don't have to necessarily throw it straight over the top, but three quarters is good. He's got a very strong arm. And when he throws it like that, he's very accurate with it. I think he gets in trouble when he gets a little lackadaisical with that sidearm throw. But outside of that, this is a guy that's so essential for the health and well-being of the White Sox. You want to have him out there every day you possibly can. Steve Stone joining Lawrence Holmes today on 670 The Score. I'm Gabe Ramirez. Okay, Steve, I hear you. But if you watched the last game the White Sox played, against the Kansas City Royals, he had some phenomenal plays running to his right and throwing it sidearm across his chest to Jose Abreu at first to get some of those guys out. So it's tough, right? I mean, I think I think Gordon Beckham said it best during the broadcast. Sometimes as a professional athlete, you can't tell yourself, don't make this throw. Because since you were a child, you had the ability and you feel in your heart of hearts that you can make that throw every single time. But obviously, you want to minimize errors. I understand that, especially when people are harping on them and watching you like a hawk every time the ball falls out of your glove. So if you need to make smaller adjustments, and who better to be able to pinpoint those than Steve Stone himself? I look at the record of the White Sox for the month of May, and of course, the White Sox game rained out today. They're going to be playing a doubleheader on Sunday. Tomorrow's game starts at 12.05 against the New York Yankees in New York. But they're 11-7 and seven in the month of May. I don't, it's not terrible. I mean, especially when you're thinking about the teams that we've had to go up against. The Boston Red Sox had an opportunity to sweep them. We faced the Yankees for a four-game series. You had the Kansas City Royals, who, of course, you feel like you should win, which we did three out of the four. You had the Cubs, the Los Angeles Angels. So, I mean, you've had a tough schedule so far, and it doesn't get any easier as the month of May ends. Still got another series with New York as well as Boston. Cubs come back. And then the last day of the month, you're going up against the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto. So just to go back to Steve Stone and what he's talking about, I mean, obviously, people are worried. Let's be honest. If you are a Sox fan, you are genuinely worried about this team and whether or not they can be a contender. And here's Stone talking about the keys for them to be just that. They're not going to lead the league in defense anytime soon, although the defense will get better, I believe. Uh but they're going to have to score some runs. And to do that, they're going to have to get consistent production out of Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal. And also, 
you have to make a determination by you, I mean Tony LaRussa, going to have to make a determination. And I think the key spot in the batting order these days is the two spot. That becomes critically important. If it's going to be Moncada, he's got to start hitting the baseball. And if he doesn't, then it can't be Moncada in the two spot. I understand what Tony is thinking. He wants to stagger the right and left-hand hitters. Uh, which is normally a pretty good thing, but if Moncada keeps swinging the bat at the 200 clip, that's not going to help very much. Now, we have to cut him a little slack because, quite obviously, he missed a lot of time before trying to come back and get his stroke. If he gets that, the two-spot is fine. I think he works very well there. But I don't know how long you're going to give him in the two-spot before you say, we've got to try somebody else. There's not great options. Don't get me wrong. You don't have, a, you know, like five guys who can hit in the two spot. But that becomes critical in this batting order to generate especially early offense. It was frustrating, to be honest, to see Yohan Moncada struggle at the plate the way he has recently because you know what he's capable of. And to me, he is the quintessential two slot for you. You have T.A. leading off, and he is there. He can lay down that bunt. He can hit for power. He can get that base hit to get on if he need be. He's got a good eye. He's a switch-hitting player. But Steve Stone touched on it. Where LaRusso loves staggering the left and right-handed bats, and he did that a lot last year. And as a fan, it was frustrating to see Yasmani Grandel in that two-hole so often because I wish he was batting six or seven. And I understand, high on-base percentage, switch hitter. But at the same time, if you're telling me who I want to have more at-bats, Grandal doesn't fit in that top three order like I see. Now, uh, the other day, he had a Abreu hitting in the four slot, so it's been Anderson, Mancada, and Luis Robert at that one, two, three. But the, obviously, the Sox offense has been struggling. So at some point, you have to do something instead of believing, at, at, even if it's for a game or two, even if it's for a series, do something to switch it up. If you drop Mancada to six. If you do something like that, if you move those two guys down, letting Robert hit second or, or Bray you in that two or three hole like he did last year, then may, you know what happens in those situations. If you're Mankata and you go to six, you're like, why did he drop me to six? I can't wait to get back up into the two hole to have that opportunity so I can show that I am capable of doing some damage in that hole. But Steve Stone spoke about the not-so-good options for the Chicago White Sox at the two spot. The best choice right now for a guy who's going to hit the ball better is Andrew Vaughn. Again, you're going to have to give him a couple of days more because he's coming back from that hand injury after he got hit. He's not swinging it as well as he could at this point for power. He's going to do that, but he's not doing it quite yet. But that seems to be the guy. I mean, the best choice for a lot of different places in that batting order, Lawrence, is Luis Robert. I mean, you can hit him two, that's a terrific choice. You can hit him three, well, that's been a wonderful choice. You can hit him four, that's also a great choice. Unfortunately, they won't let him hit more than once every nine hitters, so that becomes problematic. Steve Stone joining Lawrence Holmes right here on 670 The Score. I'm Gabe Ramirez, and I just said that. Luis Robert at the two. I mean, first of all, you just love seeing the guy bat. He's just like a monster up there. And in Spanish, a monstro, right? You see him up there, and you're like, geez. And yesterday, I tweeted it out. Brian, my producer extraordinaire today, if you look on my tweets, literally yesterday I said, Luis Robel, that's the tweet. That's it. Like, that was literally, he looks, I mean, he had some moments, but he just looked like a professional hitter at the plate. And when a team is struggling, you want these guys to get more at-bats. And if you could put Jose Abreu at the three, listen, I'd love to get Abreu more at-bats, more opportunities to bring in some runs. You like Robert at the two or what? I like him anywhere in the order. He's going to produce. <laughs> so just, get, just get him in there more often. I said, I love it. But I guess in my heart of hearts, Brian, I would love for Mankata just to be productive. 
That's where you want him at. Come September, hopefully into October, that the lineup that he's been putting out there, that's what you want, one through four. Tim, Yohan, Luis Obrera, and Jose Abreu. The assumption is that one through three, someone is going to get on, and you're going to allow uh, Pito to get up there and do his thing from the DH spot or whether he's playing first base. Now, Andrew Vaughn, I mean, I know. And from the beginning, I've been a guy that's been like, hey, if he if you can get a an ace in your rotation or a number two guy, then then let's go ahead and do that. And I get ate up on the text line when with text lines when I say that. And look, even Brian's shaking his head like, Gabe, what are you talking about? And But I get it. But the reality is this. If you're not looking for offensive – I mean, I know our offense is bad, but you're hoping that the team is going to be able to produce runs. But where you're really concerned is that starting pitching. But that's neither here nor there. But we, when it comes to starting pitching, we know we have one guy that has been absolutely phenomenal, and it has been Michael Kopech. Here's Steve talking about Kopech learning as he goes. He showed that he's starting to understand it. Michael, early in his career – had one goal that was to throw it through the catcher. Now he's decided that throwing it to the catcher is a better plan. And also he's decided that you don't necessarily have to throw 100 to win. Uh, You can throw substantially less than that, assuming that you move it around. I love the fact that he's able to go out on the mound, understand what he doesn't have. You know, it's really interesting. If you're in business or you're in any other profession, uh, the way to be successful is understand what you don't know and then find somebody who knows it. And for a pitcher, the object of being successful is figure out what you don't have on a given day and then work around that. And if you can work around that, then you start to be the pitcher that that great arm would suspect he's going to be. Some guys never learn that. Michael seems to be learning it. Lucas learned it. Dylan Cease learned it. And it takes a while in the major leagues. These are the greatest hitters in the world, and they're unforgiving. You make some mistakes, they're going to really hurt you, and you make a bunch of them, they knock you out early. As a fan, it's been great to see Michael Kopech rise on this team. It's what you want as a fan. You want a young guy to come in who's unproven. You want to give him the opportunity to succeed, even if you give him a couple of innings out of the bullpen just so he can get acclimated with with Major League Baseball. And then when you finally give the guy the chance – to get on the bump every five days, and when he performs the way Michael Kopech has been performing, you absolutely love it. I love it. I know you love it. And I'm going to see if Sam Phelan loves it. From Rivals.com, Sam is going to be joining us right after the break, and he's going to let us know, is Kopech, can Kopech be that number one guy, and does he think Yoan Makata will remain at that two spot throughout the season? We'll talk to Sam Phelan from Rivals.com right after this. I'm Gabe Ramirez. And this is 670 The Score. Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and on 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. There it is. Up the middle into center. It's an RBI on a slider that once again caught some of the plate. It's 3-1 to one here in the third. Tim's got a big lead here. Did not go. This is punched to right center field toward the alley and down. Harrison scores, Anderson to third, tie ball game at four, Luis Robert on base three times today, and an RBI single here in the sixth. Robert hits it high in the air, into left field, Benintendi at the track, it is gone! Get right in a big way, Luis Robert, seven to four. Jason Benetti, NBC Sports Chicago with the phenomenal call. Luis Robert doing his thing for the Chicago White Sox and doing his thing right now on 670 The Score. 
Let's welcome from Rivals.com, Sam Phelan. What up? What's up, Gabe? How we doing? You know, glad to have you back on the show, man. You know, yeah, I, glad to be back. It, it's, talking some ball. Of course. I was telling our, my producer, Brian, I was like, you know, I was just on Twitter doing my thing, following the socks like I always do, and I found this guy that just sounded like he knew what he was talking about and mirroring my opinions, and, and he came on the show. He did a great job. I was like, I got to have him on again. So I'm glad you're here, ready to kick off the weekend for us. Let's first talk about Luis Robert and, and, and the phenomenal job he did. I mean, if you bet on the socks when they were down 4-1, you would have made a ton of money. But what did you see from Luis when he was at the plate it was, you know, with his calmness that was up there and his ability to just produce for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, Gabe, I think you said it really well uh, with the, just the word calmness. Uh, and it's something that, you know, you can get worried about with uh, Luis Robert at times. You know, he goes through these stretches of having some, some poor at-bats and getting a little bit off balance. But you see over the last game, two days here, and I mean, even going back to the start of the Kansas City series with the late home run, bailing them out in extra innings, this guy, when he is dialed in at the plate, he has the power, he has the confidence, he has that calm presence at the dish that can put a team on his back. And that's what he's been doing recently. And it's why you love the tool set that you get with him. Um, and yeah, it, it's honestly just been refreshing. You know, a lot of frustrating offense, a lot of frustrating games. And to see, you know, Tim Anderson doing his thing at the dish and then you know, Robert right behind him driving in some runs. That is the type of player that the Sox have been lacking in the middle of their order, and him finally coming around has been big for them trying to stay afloat here when other things maybe haven't gone to plan. And it's a great – I mean, seeing him on the base path is great. He has six stolen bases this year, as many as he had last year in half the amount of games. And you know he has speed. It's what you heard all along about Luis Robert, that he was the, you know, the five-tool player that can do whatever you needed. But they do have him slotted at the three-hole where Abreu was at majority of the year last year. What do you think about you know people that are saying, hey, maybe we move Moncada down a little bit and put Luis in the two-hole? You know, I just think one – I'm not sure that's a huge difference. I actually really like Moncada in the two-hole where he's at. Moncada's a big on-base guy. He's going to take walks, you would think. Uh, that's typically his M.O. And for a team that hasn't been taking any walks, I do think it's really important for Robert to be coming up with maybe Tim, maybe Yoan on, on base. And you've kind of seen over the last few games how that can impact uh, a team. You know, Jose Abreu has to start producing in the four spot a little bit and, and – I think he will. He's Jose Abreu. He's going to do what he's going to do. But uh, I, I do like Moncada there because right now, Gabe, I think the biggest thing hindering this offense is their lack of on-base percentage. They have to get on base. You have to take your walks. And I think you've seen over some of the recent games where they've really scored runs, they're getting ahead in counts and they're taking pitches. And uh, if nothing else, that's what Yoan Moncada is going to do very well. And right behind Tim Anderson there, Luis Roberts got a really good shot in the three spot coming up with at least one guy on base. Joining us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, Sam Phelan from Rivals.com. Tim, Yoan, Luis, Jose. Am I, like, is it my Homer heart that is saying this is a phenomenal one through four? Right? I mean, because you said it. The productivity hasn't been there. And I guess I'm just wondering, Sam, is it is it because these guys are feeling themselves too much? Is it because it's, it was cold in the beginning of the season? I mean, what would you point to when it comes to the lack of offensive productivity for the Chicago White Sox team? 
So I think it's a mixture of two things. I do think the cold weather had a part in it early, but you're looking at a combination of two really bad tendencies, which is one, the Sox are not hitting the ball out of the ballpark at an exceptional rate in order to make up for the lack of walks. Like I said, you just look at Major League Baseball right now and some of the the Dodgers, 158 walks so far. The White Sox are down at 87, dead last in baseball. And when you have a team that has a lot of guys that are free swingers and, and rely on that, and with the cold weather, we saw the ball get knocked down. They weren't driving the ball. They weren't hitting extra base hits, not hitting home runs. And on top of that, you're not walking. It, it can be really hard to get those rallies and put up some crooked, crooked numbers. So um, I do think you're correct in your assessment that that should be a really strong one through four on paper. Uh, you know, Tim has been doing this thing. Luis is really starting to come around. And now that Yohan Moncada is back, you hope – he will continue to give them that jolt provided he's in the lineup every day. Uh, but Jose Abreu, you know, it just hasn't been regular Jose Abreu. And, you know, I mean, if you've, I don't know if you're familiar or have looked at his baseball savant, Gabe, he is right up there in the top percent percentiles of hitters in baseball. Uh, and so far it just hasn't found holes and he hasn't gotten to that rhythm. But if we know anything about Abreu, it's that as this weather warms up here, he's going to get himself <laughs> going. So that is the that's the recipe there. Uh, you got to take more walks, and you really got to rely on Abreu and Grandal in the four or five spot or wherever they're at to produce and start being the run producers you pay them to be. I mean, Jose Abreu is from Cienfuegos, Cuba. Now, Cienfuegos translates to a hundred fires. I mean, he's from the heat. He wants to p- listen, Sam. I played baseball in Humble Park for many a year. And I'll tell you right now, when the season usually starts in April, all the guys are complaining. When the playoffs start in October, people hate it. But in the middle of the season, regardless of where you go, the ball is flying in Humble Park. And I know the same thing holds true for Jose Abreu on this this squad. But it's interesting because we've seen Luis Robert be the guy that Abreu was in the last couple of seasons, right? Where you you understood, I don't have to swing for the fences every single time I'm up at the plate. I got to be mindful of what's going on. And you've seen Luis do that. Come through, like yesterday, three for four, four RBIs, and just took a little bit off of his swing. Ground ball, looking like Tim Anderson. Just, hey, I'm going to get this little hit right here to get my RBI where I need it to be. And that's been really impressive from the team, and it's it's something that you can look at and point to and say, hey, we know this is going to be improved upon. But you got to point at something, Sam. And I'm looking at the lineup, and so I got to blame someone or some people, we should say. And I and I wonder, I, I, I the way I look at the roster and the makeup of it, I say to myself, well, who is not going to be here in yeah. or in this starting lineup come September, come August? What is that going to look like? And I look at a guy like Josh Harrison, who I feel like he's underperforming just a little bit this year. Do you feel like he's going to be able to hold on to a second uh, base job, or do you feel like eventually that's going to be given up t- to someone? You know, I, I think it could be determined uh, based on how he continues. Uh, I do like Josh Harrison's defense for, you know, as bad as this team has been defensively. And, you know, that's been a big hindrance to them in some games. He has been, you know, a, a breath of fresh air defensively. But like you said, he's been underperforming at the plate. He's got a hit. Um I do think, you know, realistically and ideally, he's not an everyday second baseman come playoff time. I think, uh, you know, if he really starts to turn it around and you're like, okay, this guy's having a, a turnaround offensive second half here, then, then that is a, that's a possibility. Uh, but I look at, you know, the White Sox have six guys with Elo- when Eloy's down. They have six guys that I think need to be in your lineup every day. That's Grandal, Abreu. Anderson, Moncada, Vaughn, and Robert. And I, I think those six need to play. And then when it comes to the Leary Garcia's, the 
the Adam Angles, the Josh Harrisons, even right now the A.J. Pollocks and the Gavin Sheets. Those guys are not the guys that have been getting the job done. And, you know, you have to mix those guys around to find something that works. So if the White Sox are still in it come the trade deadline and they're able to to get back in that first place hunt and be right in the playoff picture, yeah, I think it's a realistic option that you look at, hey, is there somebody else we can add to the second base position that can be, you know, another bat that's going to produce in ways Harrison can't. So I think he's got a spot on the team thanks to his defense, and that's a big asset to have for this ball club. But like you said, Gabe, he's underperforming, and you're going to – that bottom of the order has just been bad. And bad situational hitting (laughs) – bad at the plate and it's got to be better you got to find a way to fix those holes if you're going to con- compete for a world series yeah and, you, and the thing was last year sam a lot of those guys were playing you know a- above what you were above expectations right you saw gavin sheets and and guys that were coming up late in the season where people were saying well what are you going to do when robert comes back what are you going to do when eloy comes back these guys are performing at such a high level and you haven't necessarily seen that offensive productivity from those guys in this season. We're talking to Sam Phelan from Rivals.com. He's joining us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Let's talk about the phenomenal job that the bullpen has been doing. And specifically, let's let's look at Joe Kelly. I feel like his, like just like Josh Harrison, he brings a swag to the Chicago White Sox. What, what, what have you seen or what is what has your take been of Joe since he's been up with the team for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, Kelly brings, you know, he kind of came in for that first game against Cleveland. We're not going to talk about what happened after Joe Kelly came out of that game (laughs) against Cleveland. But, uh, no, Joe came out, and, you know, you see 101, 100 miles an hour with the type of movement that that you see the guy that the White Sox are paying for. Um, I think really the thing for him so far is just going to be finding a way to throw strikes, finding a way to get ahead of hitters, uh, as, as nasty as the stuff is six walks and four innings it's resulted in six runs so you know he's at his best when he's ahead in the count and when he is ahead in the count he is that swaggy dominant relief pitcher that you know you throw him with Graveman you throw him with Hendricks and you know Graveman and Hendricks have had their hiccups in games so far but you see what the White Sox and Rick Hahn pictured when they acquired Kelly and they they acquired Kendall Graveman to come pitch for this team is that's a lot of stuff and it's a lot of it's three arms that you can rely on. Um, you just hope that, you know, as he gets back from this injury, starts getting more innings, he gets more comfortable, gets the ball over the plate. Uh, but I do think he's been a little unlucky too. A lot of soft contact, uh, which we saw against the Yankees in some of those games, infield hits, different things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I tend to believe the career norm uh, rather than the five-game sample size. So I do think Joe Kelly is going to be an arm that they rely on heavily down the stretch to be a go-to guy and, you know, how can you not love 101 with movement and all the swagger that he's got coming off the mound every day? Absolutely. Did a phenomenal job after loading the bases, getting out of that inning. Uh, yeah. Probably it was two, two games ago. I mean, and you just saw the confidence. He wasn't worried about it. He knew the mound visit was coming. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got this. Don't worry. And those strikeout, strikeout. And you were like, okay, Joe Kelly. I like well, yeah, it. And that, yeah, and that's why you like the guys like Kelly too, right? The guy, I mean, even Hendricks, that game against uh, – I think it was a, uh, one of the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees game. That, you know, he came in, bases loaded, one out, able to get two straight strikeouts in the eighth inning. That's what is special about some of these back end guys. And you like having guys that are just, like you said, just confident, bulldog mentality going right at you with the, the swing and this stuff to work themselves out of jams. Do you feel as though some of these guys are going to be trade pieces 
come as the trade deadline approaches. I mean, we have a ton of good arms in that bullpen, and you know that reliever help is what teams are always constantly looking for. And it seems like with some of the guys that we've been able to throw out there, they've just been pitching at a phenomenal level. Do you do you anticipate that, or do you think that this this uh, these pitchers are going to kind of just run their course here with the team for the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect him to be here. You know, that's the hope. Uh, as long as the team is, you know, hanging around, I think one thing Rick Hahn has showed is that as committed as he is to – he's willing to make the move, but Rick Hahn is not somebody who has been comfortable with dealing from the major league roster. That was something that, you know, you go back to last tread de- deadline, getting Craig Kimbrell, and he trades Nick Madrigal, who he knew wasn't coming back to play for the White Sox that season. And Cody Hoyer, you know – he viewed it as an upgrade from Cody Hoyer to Craig Kimbrell. So I don't think Rick is a guy who wants to uh, cut part of his team in order to strengthen a different part. And, you know, he had that same mentality when the Andrew Vaughn uh, rumors were swirling earlier in the year as well. So uh, I think if all goes to plan and they're in contention, these guys will be here and, and he thinks they'll be a big part of what they do in the postseason or help them get there in, in September. They have some great arms. I mean, some great arms coming out of the bullpen. Matt Foster doing his job. Tanner Banks, Kendall Graveman, as you mentioned. Joe Kelly now up and healthy, doing well. Even a guy like Ronaldo Lopez, who was once yeah. a you know starter for the Chicago White Sox team, accepting his role as a long reliever and just just doing a phenomenal job of it. Ben Souza, Jose Ruiz. I mean, all doing really great. And let, and even Vince Velasquez stepping up and being that starting pitcher while some of these guys have been out. And speaking of uh, some of the guys that have been out. What are you hearing about Lance Lynn, when he can come back? Maybe a guy like Garrett Crochet. What is that looking like? Yeah, so, I mean, Lance Lynn, uh, he just got transferred to the 60-day uh, IL recently. So he's going to be – that's retroactive, of course. So I believe the earliest date he's able to come back is June 6th, I think, I have, if I have that date right. Now, I would expect him to be, to be back for then. Um, and, you know, Sox, for the next two weeks or so, while they don't have him, are kind of going to be figuring out you know, what does that rotation look like when he comes back now that Johnny Cueto's up? You know, Dallas Keuchel has been pitching a little bit better in his two most recent outings. And as you said, Vince Velasquez has had some quality starts, but you might be able to move him to the bullpen. But I think it's about the end of that first week of June uh, that uh, Lynn is eligible to come off the 60-day. And he's been progressing well, been ahead of schedule a little bit, so he should be ready to go by then. I love it. All right, I'm gonna before I get you out of here, I want you to give me uh, whatever your prediction is for the rest of the month. Not the season, just the month. we got two games against the Yankees, three against the Red Sox, two against the Cubs, and we end this, the month with just that first game against Toronto. Do you feel like the White Sox are going to be able to finish you know, with those last couple of games uh, with a record above 500, or do you feel like somehow they're still going to struggle and just be in that range? Well, I do, I do think they can get back above 500. Um especially with some of this rotation really settling in now having, uh, you know, I just, I tweeted out this stat a couple days ago, but uh, they've, they've had 27 star or 21 starts rather between Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech. And they've got a 2.53 ERA in those 21 starts. Those guys have been just dominant at the front end. And, you know, the Yankees are the Yankees. They're the best team in baseball right now. They're, you know, firing on all cylinders, but, yeah, next week, three at home against the Red Sox. You get to play the Cubs again. You just had both of those teams' numbers on the road. So I think that's a big opportunity for the Sox to get rest next week and get hot next week. Um, so let's see, how many games is that? That's uh, yeah, three, nine six, games. Nine, yep. 
uh, I'll take six and three, Gabe. I'll, t- I'll you know, we'll go, we'll go positive Fair. here. I'll take six and three over the next nine. See, that's your Homer heart beating right there. I like it. Exactly. I'll be at the game I, on I, Tuesday. I'm so. to believe. <laughs> I'll be at the game on Tuesday, so I hope that holds true. I know Boston's going to have some revenge on their back, as well as the Chicago Cubs after we were able to, after the White Sox were able to sweep both of those teams. So it's going to be interesting. Some really good baseball on the way, and like you mentioned, some really much needed rest. For this White Sox yeah. team, they have three days off, something that they haven't had in quite some time. So it's going to be good to see what they can do with some rest and how they're able to reset. Sam, thanks so much for joining on, man. Look forward to having you back on the show again. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Rivals.com, guys. Sam Phelan joining us right here. I'm Gabe Ramirez. This is 670 The Score. Brian, producer extraordinaire. I'm going, I'm, I'm on seven and two, though. Yeah, well, Sam called it six and three, so you're you're gonna have to settle with with what he said. That's, that's I mean, we're eleven and seven on the month so far. So if I can get to seven and two, and we're eighteen and nine on the month, then I don't want any Chicago White Sox hater talking about that's the two team. out of three. So yeah, yeah exactly. I like it. You know what? We're a positive bunch here. We like to we like to be on uh, the power of positivity exists on this one. And speaking of positivity, and speaking of just good times. A 670 The Score legend, Terry Bores, joined uh, the station earlier today. And he has a phenomenal story about Mike Dicka and about, you know, about some beef he had with him. What was that beef? And what was it? What was the, the premise of the whole thing? We'll hear about that as well as who his favorite 670 The Score broadcaster is. We'll do that right after this. I'm Gabe Ramirez, 670 The Score. Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and on 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. If you grew up in the Chicagoland area like I did and you listen to 670 The Score, you know, there is nothing but praise and admiration for Terry Bores on this station. And he joined Parkinson Spiegel yesterday, the radio legend, phenomenal storyteller. And he talked about his beef with Mike Dicka. He also talked about some of his fond memories here at the station. So here's Terry. You got to hear this story about how his beef started with Mike, with, with the coach. And then only Terry could tell the story and have a beef that begins just like this. What is, you know, what, what it, was the genesis of the beef in the writing days or was it in the radio the, days? The writing days, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like him then and I still don't like him. And uh, I, I think that yeah, there is just something about him. And I know he was a, and with each passing year, the Bears continuing to play football and whatever it is, it, it, it probably makes a lot of Bears fans miss him. Even more. I mean, it's sort of um, really not much going on there at this point. And uh, you've changed everything again and starting, here we go again. But, yeah, it, it goes back to the writing days. And he, he didn't like anything I said because, he, you know, there's some guys that are very sensitive to it. And some guys I could still deal with after I criticized them. Some guys that could take it. The adults. You know, they'd say, oh, okay, all right, yeah, all right. But I, I never had any problem with it, but not him. Not even the slightest. You know, when we started doing the show together on the station, and I had to do it, I didn't have to do it every time the Ditka show was on, but because of the position of the station, everything, I had to to do it. I don't mean, it probably worked out to maybe once or twice a month only when when, um, he was on, because he was on every week. And those were probably the most uncomfortable times they ever had, and, and that made the rest of it easier. It made it, to deal with everybody else at the station uh, made it a lot easier after trying to deal with him because we never spoke to each other off the air. Never. Well, he, he never yeah. spoke to me. He, he'd get up and walk away at breaks. 
<laughs> I mean, that, oh, but it's so, it's so unbelievable God. though, Terry, because like any, any what we've we've done these for you know a few months now, and everybody will say. Ditka was a huge part of the early success of the score, right? Not doing Agreed. press conferences, but coming on the station. And then you're doing the show, and he's doing something for the station, but he hates the guy that he's doing it with. Like, that's just an unbelievable <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> it really was. And look, I understood his value. I, I mean, you win in this city of playing, you know, playing football, you're, you're going to be something. And I, I, I completely understood that. But he he completely hated me, and that went back a couple of years. So I mean, I had no no chance to ever. If I if I said to myself, you know, I'm going to start to to try to get him back on my side, I knew that was hopeless because what in, in Ditka's world, if you do that, you're done. As he, as they say now, you're dead to me, and that's what he was. That's what that's what he basically said to me. So I I, I gave up the ghost. I knew we had to do the show. We just stayed out, stayed, kept our distance. We did the show as best we could. And I think people still probably enjoyed it. We have a little give and take here and there. But he, um, but when, when that light went out and we were in break, I mean, he got away from me as fast as he could. Wow. Like, like most people do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> not, not when you're talking uh, on the radio, as we're gathering more listeners by the moment with the very presence uh, of, of Terry Boers. Uh, when I first became conscious of the station, Terry, it was mm-hmm. Cher and Memolo in the morning, and then yep. Mike North and Dan Jiggets, the monsters of the midday, and then you mm-hmm. and Dan McNeil, the heavy fuel crew in the afternoon. And when you guys did transition at, like, what, 155 to 220 yep. was yep. that heavy fuel and, and North, everybody's game got raised. And now we do transition with every show. Because we're yep. trying to capture the magic that you guys created. Did you do you remember looking forward to those? And did it I feel do, as yeah. special to you as it felt to us? No, I, I, I it did. Yeah, I, I look, look. First of all, I, I'm not kidding myself, and nobody else should be kidding themselves. I worked at the time that the fact is that when the when the station began, Mike North was the guy that he he was he was the guy that that attracted listeners he was the everyday guy he was not the writer he was not the you know the inside guy but he had very strong opinions and some of the interviews he did were were just unreal the one with Michael McCaskey was a classic so yes i i did look forward to visiting with him and i i uh, i always felt every day and you know i, I and Dan Jiggins and i went way back Jiggs was always such a so and so such a really warm, kind human being that you couldn't help but like him. And what you heard on the radio was exactly what he was, by the way. That's exactly who he was. Hmm. So I, I, you know, but North, I'm not, I don't make any bones about it that he was carrying the station. I mean, he, the stuff he did was so outrageous and outlandish at that time. It was so crazy. <laughs> but, but he had never stopped him and nobody ever said, hey, don't, don't interview anybody like he didn't care. If he got Michael McCaskey on the phone, he wanted an answer. And, I mean, he asked the best questions. I, I, so I have no, no part of me that says, oh, yeah, they had Dan and Dan and I really saved. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We, we, did our, we did our part. But, I mean, that station in those early days belonged to Pappy, as we called him. <laughs> <laughs> it belonged to him. I mean, that, that's just the, the you know, what, what history shows after that, eh, which – now you can get in trouble real easily. So, I mean, back then, it, it, it took a little more to get in trouble, but um, he, he uh, held sway for a long time. And I, I, until he went off on his own, as he started to do his own show, 
And I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I think I always felt like you still needed that partner. And I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. I prefer that. I did some shows alone, but I still prefer having somebody with me like Danny Parkins. I'd love to have a Danny Parkins with me. Oh, you did. You, you, we've done. you, you did. You, That's you, very you, kind of you. You had, you had a Bernstein. A Parkins is, is a, is a better Bernstein than Bernstein was. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about any of this. I don't know what that means. Neither I don't do know. I. I don't know. Well, no, but it, it, it is interesting, though, Terry. Like sometimes I show up trying to think like you, Terry, is what I'm saying, because I feel like I have a version of uh, of Bernsey, a Danny in his own yeah, way. Yeah, Speaks has said that he is the what the just the, the personality, make, make it lighter, funny, relatable. I, I don't need to show up and be the thoughtful, analytical, rational thinker guy. I've got him next to no. me. You know what I mean? Right. Correct. So you can relate to that. You can relate to that, right? Oh, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I can. I mean, uh, look, I yes, I, I I certainly can, and we did it for a long time together. And Dan Bernstein is a remarkable talent, a remarkable talent. And it had, you know, people say, "Well, that that show was really good." I, uh, you know, you did this. And I said, "No, no, no, no. We did this. We, we you didn't do nothing. I didn't do anything that he didn't do." So. I mean, it, it um, takes two, I think, to make it make it great. And sometimes that one wears the other one out after a while, but not in this case. <laughs> not in this case. And until the day that I am not here anymore, Dan Bernstein and I will remain friends, and we will always remain friends. And same with Dan McNeil, even though he, I know he's persona non grata with some people now and so forth over things he said. But I, I know what he meant to me as somebody just try, trying to – fit in and figure out what this was all about when we started because I wasn't really sure. I mean, I'd done enough sports stuff to know a little bit of, you know, what was expected, but I didn't really have a feeling of what it was like to do it every damn day, <laughs> every day, buddy. Not, not, not on Sundays with the sports reporters. No, 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 no. Every day. So, I mean, I learned invaluable lessons from both of them. And to this day, I am grateful to them and always will be. And they were there for me when I needed it, and and that that is really the true story. It's not that I became that. I no, I no, I didn't. I, I I was the same guy when I quit in um, well, health knocked me out in 2016 as I was, and not much different. I had mm-hmm. learned more, had gotten smarter about it, but really not any different. The guy who started in 1992 when the scar opened, not not that much different as a person. I mean, I don't speak. I don't know if you noticed any difference in me. I don't think so. No, I mean maybe a little warmer. We all theoretically get a little warmer and a little more empathetic yeah. and welcoming as we age. But you know, you stayed you stayed nice and mean. You stayed a, in a really good, healthy way. You and you and Dan, um, me and Mac used to call you guys the freight train of hate and indignation. You and Bernstein, like. <laughs> Every day, the freight train of hate and indignation would take off for some destination. Nobody knew exactly where the de- and when the destination was worthwhile, there was nothing better. Like when you guys were going after Steve Alford, or when you were going after Penn State. oh the the Penn State stuff. Nobody has ever driven a freight train of hate and indignation better than you and Birdsey. That's for sure. I well, I don't know about that. Anybody's never done about it, but yeah, we there was a there was a train that took passengers aboard, and uh, yeah, when we saw something, we, he would never let it go, and I and I would always say, well, you know what, it's worth. Yeah, we, I think we should just continue to go after them. That, that's that's probably right. I mean, all the other stuff we we'll get to, but when when you see something so wrong, yeah, so awful, 
and as we as we've learned now over these last couple of years, even this stuff was going on in Michigan with that doctor back in the back in the time when you wouldn't even expect that this uh-huh. would ever. Yep. You know, so I mean, anything that you can shed some light on, bring them out of the shadows, bring them to the public. I'm I, gonna beat them to death. I, I mean, that 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 was the modus operandi what we had, and because too often they operate in the shadows forever, and you never really find them. You never really quite get them where you want them. And we had those guys exactly where we wanted them. Mm-hmm. Exactly where we wanted them. So, yeah, I, the, I remember the train of indignation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know something? It wasn't a put on air about it either. No, no, no it was genuine. Well, with that stuff, that is, that yeah. is for me, uh, I mean, that is just I, I, as low as it gets as a human being. To do with a that I mean I, I would still to this day, if somebody so you mind uh, running up here and pulling a switch on this no, hmm. not not in the least bit I would. <laughs> the guy from Michigan said that guy. Yeah. I, I if you said hey would you, would you ex-? yes. I can only hope to have half the success as the legendary Terry Bores and to be as admired and loved as he is. I'm Gabe Ramirez. I want to thank our guests today on the show. Of course, Sam Phelan from Rivals.com, Bruce Levine, our MLB insider, and of course, former Bear Corey Wooten. A big thank you to the producer extraordinaire, always making me feel as comfortable as possible, Brian Callahan. I will see you guys next time. Have a great weekend and be safe tonight. Bet MGM Tonight is up next. It's 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.